0: Welcome to the Sedated Man Podcast. We're here to help you break free from all that's holding you down and provide you with the tools to embrace the brotherhood of Christ. It's time to stand back up and be the man you were meant to be. Here's your host, Mike Baker.
1: All right, well, here we are. What I promised you was the Proving God series, and that's what this is. I'm getting ready to drop 11 different sections from a man I know who actually did a booklet called Proving the Bible's a Word of God. Now, if you would like to see the booklet itself or you would like to download the audios for yourself, they're all available for free. And if you go to my Patreon page, you'll find the links to those booklets. There are also some PowerPoints and some other things when you dig a little. Now, I know it's taken me a little while to get here, but I'm not, I wasn't interested in reinventing the wheel. And I've actually decided to drop all of these at the same time. So these are audios. This is the only portion that will be video if you're watching on YouTube and then it will go to the audio. This video will be inserted before each and every one of them. So I'm gonna try and make it brief so that you guys aren't sick of listening to me, but it it just depends. Some people come in in the middle and I want them to be caught up, okay? Now I recently, you guys remember, I've been talking for a while now on the whole, I mean, besides the trust of science thing, how the things that are going on in the world right now are not abortion and LGBTQ rights and all that. It's a failure to have faith. It's a failure to prove your own belief in God to yourself. I've always told you guys, you've got to know what you believe and you've got to know why you believe it. And we are here not to not to dance on the little fires that come off the big one. We're here to deal with the fire. Now, keep in mind, this is not all inclusive what you're about to hear. I'm getting ready to drop 11 podcasts because I want you to have all the info. These 11 podcasts should just be the beginning of your journey to get back to proving God. I recently read an article on the declining faith in America on the Daily Wire. In the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, 98% of people had faith in God. As of 2022, 81%. That might seem like you might be looking at that, Mike, that's still still a high number. Yes, it is. But we've lost serious ground here. Because once momentum gets going, it's hard to stop. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. And that's what this is about, really. So, these are the podcasts that will be dropped. External evidences, internal evidences, more internal evidences, prophecies of the Messiah, more messianic prophecy, the plan, phase two, phase three, four, Phase five, phase six, phase six, seven, and phase seven, eight. Remember, once again, this is a skeleton of the amount of information that's out there. If you look on my Patreon page, there is a ton of other books that you can go through to look at the science, to look at why God does exist. People get really bristly when you say prove. But the truth is, the proof is out there. There is enough evidence to make the case. It's up to us. It's up to you. Don't be the guy who sits on his butt when his family needs him to be the guy who steps up, who takes a stand, and who, who then, by proving God, can put all of this other nonsense to the side, and we can move forward. Remember, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. If you got questions of me, you can email me at mike at com. If you have questions of Jay, the guy who's actually talking in this, you can reach him through the websites listed on Patreon. Good luck. My prayers are with you. Dig in and dig hard. Baker out.
2: Well, we're in the... Uh... Proof the bible 's the word of god study, and um, again what we 're doing is we 're going through these slide presentations um, to familiarize you with them you know the The goal is multiplication, and you know you you find out pretty quick when you get out there and try to do any evangelizing that this is the this is a type of material that you absolutely have to know and uh Sometimes you think, well, you just find people who believe that the Bible is the word of God. Well, that's getting tougher and tougher. And even those who say they believe the Bible is the word of God, when it comes down to it, they really don't. You know, there's, the, there's uh, so much propaganda out there. So uh, what what we've got here is we've got a, a, a series of eight, eight phases, actually, that we're going through um, I, I just, for your information, I've been going through a phase for a long time. And uh, so, but as far as the slide presentation is, we're, we're in phase five. Now, we kind of went back and we started where, um, uh, with the time from Adam to the, to the flood. And the basic point there is that man, man's conscience not strong enough to make him do right. And he just goes into a downward spiral. Then uh, after the flood, God kind of delayed things a little bit by setting up the Tower of Babel and have them scatter. And uh, then he implemented the second phase of Abraham. And in, uh, he promised Abraham that in his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So just a, a very definite plan laid down there. And... Uh, it's, it's important to recognize that that's not something a Jew would write. They claim the Jews wrote the Old Testament, but a Jew's not writing the plan, starting with Abraham, to be for all the peoples of the earth. Then phase three had to do with the, the Israelite nation, the giving of the law. And the, the law was designed from the beginning to self-destruct and to re, be replaced by a superior system. Then phase four was the uh, development of the Messiah. Uh, Israel asked for a king, um, so God gave him one. But in so doing, to David, then He made the promise of the coming, the eventual anointed one, the, the Christ. And uh, so, phase five, then we're actually up to uh, Jesus' <coughs> own life, um, as recorded in the gospel accounts. One of the charges you have to deal with sometimes is that there's no contemporary records of Jesus, so therefore he wasn't real. And uh, it's kind of interesting how how those charges come up. Of course, Jesus' ministry was only three and a half years. And the vast majority of that three and a half years is, was in obscurity. He was only, you know, showing up on the public scene for an extremely short time, which is not time enough for them to, to put any of the particular records in there. But uh, you know, I had to get the oil changed in my car today, so uh, I stopped in at the oil change place. And I didn't want to read us or people or in touch or, or good housekeeping or bad housekeeping, which would be one they, more they'd write for me. But uh, I saw a stack of National Geographics over there. I said, "Oh yeah, I remember those over there." And so there was one on uh, King David, a National Geographic on King David. Was he real? I thought, well, yeah, I'll just <clears throat> grab that and uh, see what they got to say. Of course, what happened, see, for a long time, there weren't any references that they could document archaeologically with regard to King David at all. And so they, um, you know, basically the minimalists trashed the idea that David was anything other than a mythical figure. But in 1993, they came across a Stella. is just kind of a rock, uh, you know, a face has been flattened, and then a message has been carved on it. And uh, guess what? stella refers directly to the house of David. And uh, so now the minimalists, they don't get to trash David like they used to. In fact, there's quite a bit of work going on in Jerusalem. They think maybe they found his house. Remember, he had a house that he had built. And uh, then after he got his house built, he thought, well, maybe he should build a house for God. They think maybe they found his house they got to keep digging, though, to find it. Tom?
0: You had mentioned that there weren't any contemporary records of Jesus. Now I know in uh, Josephus it does mention Jesus, and that would be contemporary. Do you think that that was something that was added later into Josephus, or what's your comments on that?
2: Well, they don't regard that as contemporary. Yeah, because see, Josephus writes his stuff after 70 A.D. See, So it wasn't within Jesus' lifetime, so they say there wasn't any contemporary records there. Yeah, Bill?
0: I want to actually comment on item number two that's up there on the screen there. Would you care to kind of break down the difference here with uh, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit? John was immersed in the Jordan for forgiveness of sins. But when Jesus was immersed by John, he received um, a different spirit again. So we have kind of a little different situations there. Can you kind of break that down?
2: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, great question here. Um, (coughs) We kind of just briefly touched on this last week, which is why I wanted to kind of go back and bring this slide up. You know, Jesus' ministry was in Galilee, as prophesied by Isaiah. And uh, then Jesus was anointed with the Spirit when he was immersed by John in the Jordan River. Now, John's immersion was the immersion of repentance for forgiveness of sin. And uh, it was a preparatory immersion. Now, when Jesus shows up, though, he doesn't, he doesn't have to have any sins to be forgiven. And, uh, in fact, John kind of notes that in a subtle way because John says to Jesus, I need to be immersed by you. And you come to me. And uh, Jesus said, uh, permit it to be so at this time, for in this way it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, the descent of the Holy Spirit on Jesus was the signal from heaven. Uh, John's own words were, he said, I didn't recognize him. Now, what he meant by that wasn't, wasn't that he didn't know who he was. He, he couldn't officially recognize him as the Messiah. That's what he meant by that statement. It says, I, I, I did not recognize him, but in order that he might be manifested to Israel, I came immersing in water. See, so the immersion, the descent of the Holy Spirit on Jesus at his immersion was going to be the signal then that this was the Messiah that they'd been waiting for for a thousand years. And it was going to be anointed with the Holy Spirit rather than anointing with oil again, John was commenting on it. He said, uh, you, know, I, uh, you know, I came immersing in water. You know, and uh, he who sent me to immerse in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And he said, I have seen, have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So, <clears throat> you had the, the signal... Uh, to Israel. Now, when we, oh, a couple years ago, we went through some uh, specific prophecy of Daniel chapter 9. And uh, out of that Daniel chapter 9 prophecy, you would be looking for the Messiah, specifically called the Messiah, in the year 26 AD. And so, the anointing by Jesus, the Holy Spirit, was the fulfillment Of that portion of the prophecy, that's exactly when when that prophecy was was to be fulfilled and it was on schedule. So this is a very significant point. Now, when Jesus was immersed as he was coming up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended on him bodily in the form of a dove, uh, a voice from heaven uh, (coughs) also said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. <coughs> Jesus' immersion, then, was also setting the stage for ours. Because when we get immersed, <coughs> then we're anointed with the Holy Spirit, according to 1 John 2.27. Now, you can't see that. That's a not a visible anointing. But <coughs> that's why every Christian is a king, and every Christian is a priest. That's why it's also called a royal priesthood. Is because Christians are anointed priests and they're anointed kings, and you can't hear it, but there's a voice that says, "This is my beloved son." Uh, we'll throw you ladies in on that. Um, uh, we haven't quite got over to politically correct street speech yet. You know, you know, where's or, or Sherry? Oh, Sherry, yeah. I hate it in the airports. You know, you're standing in the airport. Each person is responsible for their luggage. Okay. Boy, my kids, you know, you know, try to use a plural pronoun to refer back to something singular. No, that's not going to work, see. But we had to be politically correct. And so we, it used to be that the masculine gender was understood, you know, to mean include both male and female, uh, depending on context. It was mankind, but see, we... So we switched it from he or his, each person responsible for his luggage, to each person responsible for their luggage. So I'm going to be politically incorrect here. And, uh, you know, say that when when we're immersed, there's a voice from heaven, can't hear it, that says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And uh, that's why when seeing 1 John 2.27, he talks about that anointing. That we receive abides in us. See, and he goes on into chapter three, verse one. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. See, so a lot of big things connected with Jesus' immersion here, uh, when he, when the Holy Spirit descends on him, uh, and he's anointed um, with that. Did I cover that one adequately, Mel? Is there any other things there that you wanted? Anything else? That
0: when he was when he was conceived, was that more like the Holy Spirit that we received when we were immersed?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you went back to that point. <clears throat> Every person consists of body, soul, and spirit. Okay, you know, the body is pretty obvious. You cut it, it bleeds. Uh, it's hungry. You feed it. Uh, it 's tired he tried to find some place to put it to bed um, <clears throat> that 's the body okay, and the soul is the living part. animals have souls, so animals see, hear, feel to a certain level think, but man is body and soul and spirit it 's the spirit of man it 's the image of God, <clears throat> and the real person is the spirit of that individual. so when Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> In the womb of Mary, then the real Jesus is, of course, his his body and his soul and in his spirit. Well, the spirit of Jesus also happens to be the Holy Spirit. It's one and the same spirit. So Jesus was always the Holy Spirit growing up. But you have for our benefit and for the benefit of the people, then you have the descent of the Holy Spirit here as an anointing. To see a visible signal <clears throat> to verify really what was always true. So um, people have a hard time with that, but <clears throat> you know I remember when I was in Moscow, Idaho. I was at the Harrison Street Church of Christ. A little debate that Paul Lansgaard had set up with uh, Marshall Skatone on the indwelling Holy Spirit. And um, so it's pretty clear, you know, you can establish very clearly from Romans chapter eight that if anyone, you know, is not indwelt by the Holy Spirit, he doesn't belong to God. It doesn't belong to Christ. And uh, so there's a lot of those people within those churches of Christ that don't believe in the indwelling Holy Spirit. So that's what the debate was about. Uh, So I was able to establish the Holy Spirit does. They wanted to go to the next step. Say, well, how does he? And I said, well, if you can tell me how the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and she conceived Jesus in her womb, as soon as you can tell me that, then I'll tell you how the Holy Spirit dwells in the Christian. I mean, that kind of silenced the debate right there. <clears throat> but the Holy you know, Jesus... It's conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, His Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, or it is the Holy Spirit. He always was the Holy Spirit in human form. And uh, turn back to Isaiah chapter 9. Just kind of a review point here. Isaiah chapter 9, and verse 6. Isaiah 9, 6. He says, uh, For a child will be born to us, and a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David, and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on forevermore in the zeal of the Lord a host will accomplish this that's a very interesting and sweeping prophecy really um, you'll notice that the the messiahship of Jesus is really clear here in verse 7 that he would be on the throne of David and it's still over David's kingdom but what's also clear is that he would be For example, the Prince of Peace. You know, that's pretty straightforward. Uh, But he's also the mighty God. Okay, well, that's, you know, in the boundaries. But he is also the Eternal Father. And that starts stretching people out a little bit. On top of that, he's the Wonderful Counselor, which is another name for the Holy Spirit. So everything about God was in Jesus' body, okay? And uh, so he is the Holy Spirit in bodily form. And so the anointing and the visible Holy Spirit here is a communication technique that God is using for a whole multiplicity of purposes. It didn't change Jesus. It just signaled the beginning of his ministry and doing then from that point on what he needed to do. Does that cover that aspect, Mel? Does that... Did I get to what you wanted me to get to? Okay. <clears throat> so it's kind of complex. <laughs> Other questions or thoughts? Okay. So, of course, then Jesus went about teaching the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease. Now, he's... Now, this is where he's getting the real work done. He doesn't get a lot of acclaim for this. doesn't get a lot of notice. Um, but this is what sets the stage for everything else. So, Sabbath after Sabbath, Saturday after Saturday, he's in the synagogues working, teaching, you know, healing. So he's, again, he, he, I've used this example before, but I want to use it again to try to illustrate the point. You know... Um, okay, this is for the, for the record, this is illustration only, okay, okay, <laughs> we're kind of a tight little group here and, uh, you know, intimate and, uh, we know each other really well. And so it's time for me to let you in on a little secret. Um, I'm really God. You guys don't look like you're buying that very well. <laughs> well, okay, you got to put yourself in Jesus' shoes. He was, he was. Now, how, how's he? How's he going? How's he to tell people that we can't? So he has to go among around doing among other things. He has to do miracles to start me, making people think. I wonder who this is. See, I wonder, <clears throat> I wonder <clears throat> if this is the Messiah. You can see there's kind of an education and communication process taking place here. So, <clears throat> he he's doing the miracles, and the miracles are verifying his teaching and uh, creating attention. And so, I mean, people are coming from all over. You know, they're coming from every Jewish region anywhere near Galilee where he's doing most of his work. And, um, you know, after a while, see, there's hardly any family uh, of Israelite origin that hasn't had somebody that they know or somebody's family that they know that hasn't been healed by Jesus. That starts to create a a pretty powerful uh, impression and it also starts to create a lot of a lot of interest and a lot of uh, um, of investigation here as to what's really going on. So he's working. Now, the the first year, if you kind of just look at it really closely, he doesn't heal, heal on the Sabbath. But on the second year, he cranks it up the next notch and he starts healing on the Sabbath. He starts taking it right to him. And uh And he's doing that. He's deliberately, number one, it's the right thing to do. I mean, he himself asked a question. Remember one time he was in the synagogue and there was a guy there with a crippled arm. And he actually brought the guy with the crippled arm into that particular synagogue on that Sabbath to set Jesus up. And so Jesus asked a question. He said, if you got a donkey, for example, or a sheep that falls into a well on the Sabbath, what are you going to do? If you, if you got a if you got a sheep or a donkey, it's upside down in a well. You don't you can't wait till the next day. You got to get them out of there, or they're going to be dead. I mean, cattle and sheep if they if they even get in a little bit of a swale on a field, they get upside down. They'll die. And so uh, you got to get them out of there. And uh, so and that was the obvious answer that that they would get him out there. So, Jesus asked another question. He said, how much more value then is a man than a sheep or a man than a donkey? Now, again, we've gone so far in our country that the obvious answer is, well, the sheep or the donkey. Or, better yet, the buffalo. You know, buffalo is way more valuable than than any human being, see? That's where we've kind of gone with that. But, you know, in those days, they could still answer, well, that the human being is more valuable And so Jesus, you know, said, well, if you can rescue your donkey on a Sabbath, then why can't I heal this human being here on the Sabbath? And he told the man with the crippled hand, he said, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and is restored to normal like the other. And at that point, the the enemies of Jesus met in the back corner of the synagogue building to figure out how they're going to kill him. See, That's how it was, see. So he's out there working for really hard for, well, two and a half years with, without getting a lot of a notice. See? But this thing is building step by step by step to set the stage for the final year, the final month, the final weeks, and the final days of Jesus' life on earth and in his resurrection. For the comments. So... Jesus' crucifixion was prophesied many times uh, throughout the Old Testament. Um, You know, for example, God caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, of Isaiah 53 6. They pierced my hands and my feet, of Psalm 22 16. Um, The Old Testament foretold uh, Christ's resurrection. The way the Apostle Paul put it, Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, he was buried. And he was raised again on the third day, according to the Scripture. Now, again, those Scriptures were in existence long before the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. So, the fact that he could say those things, see, again, is very significant. They didn't, they didn't make the whole Bible up after the supposed story of Jesus' resurrection started circulating. See, God's got that thing set up, so that entire Old Testament is very clearly in existence. Uh, hundreds of years uh, before Christ so that nobody can say that, oh, they all made it up. They didn't. The Old Testament then foretold of Christ's resurrection. Uh, for example, he'd be offered as a guilt offering, yet he would have his days prolonged. We looked at that out of Isaiah 53. Um, Psalm 1610, uh, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Um, See, he wasn't going to be in Sheol, the resting place for the dead, long enough to undergo decay. It's pretty, pretty impressive when you start looking at those those scriptures. They were there, uh, just laying there, waiting for, for the time to, to come along and for them to be fulfilled. Um, God's done things like that for a couple reasons. Number one, so that you can convince the world that the Bible is the Word of God number two, to give those of us who are Christians confidence that what we believe is, uh, you know, didn't make, somebody didn't make it up. I had a discussion with a guy in Great Falls here, and he said, uh, okay, so I'm, I'm looking at this. He said, how do I know, how do I know that you're not a cult? Well, fair question, right? Eh? I said, well, let's define cult a little bit. Cult is, uh, uh, shall we say, unquestioned devotion to a human leader. Would you agree that that was a good de- definition of a cult? And uh, yeah, the answer come back, well, yeah. I said, so, our question then is, Jesus, a mere human leader. I said, let me, let me name you some cults. Um, Islam. Uh, Roman Catholicism, Mormonism, uh, followers of Benny Hind. I said, those would be called. Because there you've got human leaders. I said, if you ask us any question, we're just going to turn you to the scriptures. See, it's all going to come from the scriptures. I said, that's how <laughs> you'd tell the difference. And I said, most things that most people wouldn't consider cults really are. And uh, if you follow the Bible, then somehow people think you're in a cult. <laughs> it's just twisted and backwards. But in an age where we call evil good and good evil, we call darkness light and light darkness, then it's not surprising if you're going to get that backwards too. Further comments on that? Okay? So it's prophesied. Jesus' resurrection is prophesied. Uh, the Old Testament actually prophesied of Jesus' ascension to glory as well. Um he said to me out of Psalm 27, my son, today I have begotten you. And that's, that's a reference not to Jesus' physical birth, but a reference to his uh, begotten, being begotten from the dead and for his actual ascension to the heavenly throne. Turn to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, we'll begin in verse 1. This is kind of a great quote here. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, comes to the, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in an abundance, okay? Incline your ear and come to me, listen, that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. So, Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander to the peoples. See, Now, when he starts talking about the mercy shown to David, what David was specifically promised was that his descendant would sit on a throne. And it would be a heavenly throne. And uh, so in connection with uh, when the Apostle Paul quotes this in Acts 13, he also quotes Isaiah 55, 3, showing that when the Scripture talks about resurrection, it not only means the bodily resurrection, it means the resurrection all the way to the throne in heaven. And you have to, have to understand that. Uh, turn to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, he, he quotes Psalm 16. And uh, we'll begin with that quote in, in verse 25. He said, I was always beholding the Lord before me, for he is at my right, in my presence, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, and my tongue was uh, uh, exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will abide in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Hades is the Greek equivalent to Sheol, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life, you will make me full of gladness with your presence pause there just for a second see he dies and then he lives okay and he lives in the presence of the father here which is a reference to his ascension now peter goes on to talk about that in verse 29 he says brethren i may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch david that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us until this day in other words somebody looking at psalm 16 since it was written by David might say, well, uh, David's talk about himself. Peter said, well, you need to think about that for a second. If you check just down the street, here's David's tomb. And you go down there and dig David's tomb up, you know what you're going to find? Dust. Because David died, buried, and decayed. See, this that Psalm 16 is about didn't stay in the tomb and he didn't decay. So can't, David can't be talking about himself. So it goes on in verse 30. He says, and So because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn uh, to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. So if you'll pay attention to the language here, Peter is using the word resurrection to mean all the way to the throne. Of David, which is a heavenly throne. Thoughts or comments on on this so far. <clears throat> Daniel chapter seven, you know, he prophesies, Behold, one with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. In fact, let's go back and look at that prophecy out of Daniel chapter seven. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Again, many of you are familiar with these, but think of, you know, put yourself in the position of somebody that's never seen this stuff before, never, doesn't know that much about the Bible, never really looked at it before, has no idea what's in it. You know, all they've heard is, you know, whatever... um, CNN said about it. Our Discovery Channel. Okay. <clears throat> okay, if you put yourself in, in their shoes, see, as you start looking at these, see, that, it really starts helping lights to come on. <clears throat> From about, uh, oh, say, 600 BC, verse 13, Daniel chapter uh, 7, verse 13. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. See, you can see this is a picture of Jesus' ascension. He's coming on the clouds of heaven, and he comes to the very presence of of the Father in heaven uh, to receive that kingdom. It's pretty obvious it's going to be a spiritual kingdom, not an earthly one. Comments on any of this? So, phase five illustrates the extent to which the Old Testament proclaims the truthfulness of the New Testament records. I mean, it's it's all in there. (coughs) See, in other words, even if you didn't have a New Testament, all you had was the Old Testament you would be looking for somebody that was virgin-born, somebody that was actually born in Bethlehem but grew up in Nazareth. You would be looking for somebody who would be preceded by a forerunner. You would look for somebody who would make his appearance to Israel in the year 26 A.D. You would be looking for somebody whose ministry would be in Galilee. You would be looking for someone who would speak in parables. Uh, You would look for somebody who could perform miracles and heal people. Uh, You would be looking for somebody uh, who would uh, ride into Jerusalem with a donkey. Uh, You would look for somebody who uh, would uh, be betrayed by a close friend for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, You would be looking for somebody who would uh, die on a cross on the day of passover in the year 30 a.d Uh, you would be looking this is all old testament now you'd be looking for somebody on that day that they died it'd be dark in the middle of the day at evening time it would be light again you would be looking for somebody who would die by crucifixion um you would uh, look for somebody then who would be buried in the tomb of someone rich, although he was scheduled to die with the with the wicked. Uh, you would look for somebody to be resurrected three days later. You would look for somebody who would ascend to a heavenly throne, um, all from the Old Testament. And that word of this would spread beginning from Jerusalem, beginning in the year 30 A.D., and it would spread everywhere. It was all prophesied in the Old Testament. Now, as you can find, Will Durant's uh, history book called Caesar and Christ, you could pull that one off the shelf and you would find that beginning in 30 A.D. from Jerusalem, the message of this one Jesus of Nazareth that his followers believed was crucified and was raised from the dead, spread throughout the whole world, um, as I say, beginning from Jerusalem, just like the Old Testament said was going to happen. Now, when it gets that specific, see, the, you know, it has to be dealt with. Um, well, I was reading that National Geographic article on King David. It was kind of interesting because, of course, you got all these guys... every every possible chance they have, they try to trash the Bible. Any way they can, any way they can throw the archaeology in some other direction, they do it. So, you know, one of the guys that's one of the biggest trashers of the Bible, they asked him, well, why do you you reference the Bible? He said, well, he said, because There's so much involved in so much culture. And because the history, as the Bible records it, has been there for so long, we have to deal with it. Now, they don't like to deal with it, but they have to. Now, when you start putting these prophecies here of Jesus' birth, His life, His resurrection... His death, his uh, resurrection, his ascension. And, and you make people have to deal with it. They don't like it at all if they, if they don't want to believe it. Because there's no easy out. It's all there. And the only way you can get out from underneath it is to change the, the conversation, change the topic of to conversation. <coughs> I personally really, really enjoy any opportunity to sit down with an atheist or an agnostic because, I say, well, you guys want to talk about this? Um, I was listening to some talk show the other night, and the talk show host had mentioned God. You know, he sort of, sort of believes in God, sort of believes the Bible, sort of quotes the Bible, but he never knows what he's talking about when he quotes it, <laughs> and. Anyhow, some somebody called in and said, "Sir, you know you're a very intelligent man. Of course, to get on the talk show, you always got to call the host, you know, intelligent man. And uh, so I'm wondering why an intelligent man like you would even reference the Bible, or even reference God. You know, you know we we atheists know that there is no God, and it's all all figments of people's imagination." course the talk show host he doesn't have enough knowledge to know where to go with that uh, but see that's the sort of thing that's floating out there their idea is is that ancient man was pantheistic that is their the idea that the the, the creator or whatever was in everything how many here have ever seen the walt disney production pocahontas okay pocahontas is one of the most pantheistic productions ever made on this planet. It doesn't represent the real Pocahontas at all. It represents Disney's viewpoint and attempt to recreate paganism. Okay, and so you have the willow tree and all that kind of stuff. It's all pantheism, pantheism. See, Now, this next step, as man evolved upward in his thinking, the way that it goes, then man became polytheistic. You know, like he begin to worship the Greek gods or the Egyptian gods or, or whatever. Now, the next step up is for man to become monotheistic, like the Hebrews. In modern man, now he's taken to the next step. He's the, he's the intelligent one. He's atheistic. See, so you no know God at all. See, so it's a very logical progression, isn't it? That's the way they look at. So, if you have the opportunity to start bringing the specifics, you don't like it. Um, again, I was privileged to have a really excellent discussion in the, the Richmond, Virginia area with a young lady that uh, really didn't believe the scripture, but she was willing to, to take a look at it. See? And four hours later, every question was answered, every hole was plugged. Every every uh, opportunity to to get out from underneath was dealt with. And there's only one conclusion it can be left with. And that is the Bible is the Word of God. And it's authoritative. See, that's the other part that people don't like. It's authoritative. It's a document of authority. And uh, since uh, the Smorgasbord Society... In one that's been humanistically programmed, um, you know, that there isn't any authority. So that's that's a big challenge. But that's what we're in the process of doing is moving people over those barriers. So the Old Testament contains at least 150 specific prophecies fulfilled by the Jesus of the New Testament. Like I say, you don't even have to have the New Testament. You can just go <coughs> grab Will Durant's Caesar, and Christ and... I mean, they've got to deal with it. You know, they might not like to, but they've got to deal with Jesus of Nazareth. Crucified, buried, risen from the dead. Oh, and by the way, ascended to the position of power. Turn to Psalm 2. Written by David. The Apostle Paul is to be believed. 1000 BC, Psalm 2, beginning of verse 1. Why are the nations in an uproar, and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, against his Messiah. Against his Christ. And here's what they say, and here's what they said. Let us tear their fetters apart, let's cast away their cords from us. See, we don't want God or anybody telling us what we can or what we can't do. Okay. Well, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. He says, as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion by holy mountain. Now, Zion, of places like Psalm 2, is the heavenly realm. It's the heavenly Zion, not the kind of the natural fortress that's between the Tyropian Valley and the Kidron, the sector of Jerusalem. Okay? It's, the, it's the heavenly Zion. He said, I have installed my king upon Zion my holy man you can't assassinate him and you can't bribe him and you can't influence him and you can't you can't uh even hire lobbyists to get there okay. you can't touch him all right so here's what the son says he said i will surely de- tell the decree that was the father speaking earlier he says i will surely tell the decree of the lord he said to me you are my son today i've begotten you that's a reference as i say to his bodily resurrection and to that throne where he's been seated on Zion. Father said, ask of me and I will surely give the Gentiles as your inheritance. And the very ends of the earth is your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now you get to carry with you that rod of iron. When you come to the assembly, that's what you're bringing. It's it's the governing standard, the means by which he rules. Now, therefore, see here's a little conclusion. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and do homage with trembling and rejoice with trembling. Catch this one thousand B.C. Do homage to the sun, lest he become angry. And you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. And how blessed are all who take refuge in him. It's always interesting to me that the Supreme Court building in Washington, D.C., you know, it kind of got a fairly flat roof, but there's a point here. In in the section between the, say, the flat beam and, and the roof, there's a freeze. And that freeze... Depicts some of the great lawgivers of history, like Hammurabi, for example. The center, the center. And this is this is the location of separation in church and state. Now, the center of that phrase is Moses receiving the Ten Commandments from God. And you can go online and take a look at that. It's it's common knowledge that. I'm sure that some architectural redesign, they'll get rid of that, just like they're getting rid of all the scripture references that were part of the foundation of America's history. You know why? Because the Bible's a document of authority. And the kings of the earth and the judges of this earth need to recognize that they are accountable to Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Those judges, before they walk in there, should look up at that freeze. And they should freeze in their tracks for a little bit and think about it. Before they go in there and start turning the Constitution upside down. You know, I mentioned I was, uh, when the financial uh, you know, uh, collapse started and uh, the housing uh, bubble burst, I was listening to Bloomberg Radio on my satellite coming back from Great Falls just to kind of see what they had to say about it. That night, they were interviewing Richard Posner. Richard Posner is one of the judges on the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in Chicago. The, the Court of Appeals are just is the court right underneath the Supreme Court. And he had just written a book entitled How Judges Think. And he is one of the most respected and influential judges in America. That's why he wrote the book, and that's why people buy it, okay? And that's why Bloomberg will puff it. Okay, he just flat made the statement on, in his interview with Bloomberg. He said, um, it is not possible to determine the meaning of the founding fathers when they wrote the Constitution. See, the reason? No documents of authority. Of course he should. Shouldn't never been pointed in the first place. But uh, well, that doesn't mean anything either, Stan. See, because if there's no God, what you know, who are you accountable to? See, and that's that's why Psalm two is such an important see, and these prophecies about Jesus and his elevated position so important because this, this is where the accountability lies, and that's why you know if you go back again and look at uh, verse three. They say, let us tear their fetters apart and cast their cords away from us. They want to get out from underneath their accountability to the great God who loved them, the great God who created them, the great God who sustains them, and the great God that they thumb their nose at. See, the only explanation here is a divine planner who has executed his transcendent design throughout history. See, he's able to get it done on a scope and a scale that's absolutely impossible for the human mind in the first place to imagine and in the second place absolutely impossible for the human being to execute over a period of time. So it gets us then to phase six, which is the church or the kingdom of God. While Jesus is alive, the church doesn't exist. See, the church only comes into existence... Um, On the day of Pentecost in the year 30 AD. Okay, the church, you know, as you recall, was prophesied in the Old Testament as the coming kingdom of God. Lots and lots of prophecies of the coming kingdom in the Old Testament. And it would be a kingdom that, as we've seen tonight, will endure forever. Daniel chapter 2, he foretold of the eternal divine kingdom, and he actually prophesied it would come in the days of the Iron Kings, which. See, remember, the head of gold is Babylon, the silver is the Greeks, I mean the Persians, the uh, bronze is the Greeks, and the iron, and the iron mixed with the pottery is uh, <coughs> the Romans. In the days of those kings, then the stone was cut out of a mountain without hands. Uh, would come, see, in other words, it's not of human origin. It would come, it would smash the statue on the feet, statue would fall over, <coughs> bust up into a million smithereens, wind came and blow all the pieces away and then this stone then started growing and became a great mountain that fills the whole earth See, which is it's a prophecy of the kingdom of god or the church 600 years see prophecy was made back here okay then this human history happened this human history happened this human history happened this human history happened, human history happened. and then here's this stone right here and it's still happening A little hard, a little hard to get around that. So Jesus affirmed to Pontius Pilate that he was a king, but his kingdom was not of this world. See, remember when, when the Jews arrest Jesus, the charge against him, well, in the words of the high priest, tell us plainly, are you the Christ, the Son of God? And Jesus said, you've said it yourself. Nevertheless, I say to you, from this point on, you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of glory. Okay? And the high priest tore his robes and said, you've heard the blasphemy. See, what do you think? And they said, you think he's worthy of death. <coughs> see, to them, it's absolute blasphemy to think that the great God would take human form. You're like, you know, I am God, you know. See, it's blasphemy. So that's how they accused him in the, in the Jewish court. Now, the problem, when we get over to the Roman courts, the Romans think that the gods, you know, Jupiter or Mercury or Venus or Diana, that they think that they occasionally take human form and come down and mingle with men. So if they're going to accuse Jesus in the Roman court that he claims to be a God, Romans are going to say, well, we don't have a problem with that. Maybe he is. So they have to change the the charges when they go from the court of origination to the appellate court. And the charge then that they bring before Pontius Pilate is that Jesus is a king and he's a rival king and he's a threat to Caesar. See, that's the only way that they're going to catch any attention. Now, Jesus has been up all night, uh, you know, all the day before, all night. He's already been roughed up pretty good, been through a couple of Jewish trials. And now they kind of bringing him in about four o'clock in the morning, Wilson estimate, and uh, dump him at the feet of Pontius Pilate and say, uh, this guy is a king, claims to be a king, and he's a threat to Caesar. See, well, Pilate, he's seen Rome. He's he's seen the, the golden eagles. He's seen the throne. He's seen the. The wearing of the purple and uh so you know he's kind of wondering I mean this guy doesn't look like he's much of a threat to Caesar at all so a little discussion takes place and you know um, finally Jesus said you know my kingdom is not of this world He said, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered to the Jews. But he says, as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. It's not an earthly kingdom. Never intended to be an earthly kingdom. See, it's one that's going to last forever. See, Jesus promised his followers that some would not die until after they had seen him coming in his kingdom. So, uh, the stage was set. John the Immerser shows up in the wilderness, raises that hand high in the air and shouts that voice that rings all the way from the wilderness into the urban areas of Jerusalem. And that message is repent for the kingdom of heavens at hand. When John's arrested, and then Jesus takes up the call. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then when he sends the disciples, the 12 apostles out the first time, the message is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, The stage was set, preparing the way before the kingdom is prophesied in a multitude of ways in the Old Testament. And now the stage is set, it's ready.
0: Thanks for listening to The Sedated Man. Bringing Christian men back to power in their homes congregations and communities we'll see you next time